0: somebody and say it's good to, good to see you now look at uh, somebody and say that's my mama right uh, point out your mama and look at somebody that's how, that's how I say it. that's my uh, and I'm glad you brought your mama in them uh, that's how we say it where I'm from. Uh, my mom plus three, all right? My mama and them. Hey, I'm so glad that you're here, and I'm so excited about this morning, and happy Mother's Day. For those of you who don't know, my name's Sam. I have the great privilege of being the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church, and what that means is every single week, I try to open the scriptures and tell the greatest story ever told. Now, not because I'm some great communicator, or it's even my story, but I believe this story is a story about Jesus, and Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk the face of the planet. I actually believe he's more than just a person. I believe he's God in the flesh. And so if you've ever asked the question, what is God like? You don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus. And we believe the Bible is this story about Jesus. We say this around here. We say it's all about Jesus. We wrote it on the wall if you need some help. And what that means is you're going to need a Bible to follow along. And so if you forgot your Bible, we got you covered. You can borrow one of ours. And so you can slip up your hand and one of our ushers will get one to you. And then if you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. We pray that you take that, read it every single day because every time you do, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen. Amen. Three of you. Thank you. Uh, every time you read the Bible, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen. 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 So we're going to meet with Jesus, and, and I want you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John. And uh, the very last chapter, look at somebody and say, we at the end. We made it. And then when we end, we're just going to keep going. Somebody say amen to that, because you're never done. Amen? So we're in John chapter 21 and uh from my estimation there are two more sermons in this book um this one and next week we'll finish the gospel of john that we've been in for over a year you've done a good job and uh i'm so excited that we've been able to journey through this amazing gospel and we've been patient through it you've been patient through it a lot of times when people ask why we do what we do and I talk with other pastors and and um, it it, it seems uh, like in our culture today you couldn't take the long view you couldn't take the long haul you couldn't take the long journey and a lot of people are convinced that every single week they need to change the series or another topic or let me give you the 27 steps to being awesome and let me tell you I tried the 27 steps to being awesome they did not work you can ask my wife all right And the reality is, is the tools and uh, tricks and tips that I can give you week in and week out will let you down. Because the reality is, is um, the reason why we call these the gospels is the gospel means good news and good news is greater than good advice. Amen. Maybe you don't know the difference between good news and good advice. See, good advice presumes on your ability to create the future. What do you mean, Pastor Sam? If I give you an advice, uh, then I assume that you can follow through with said advice, and then somehow you'll create the future that you hope to obtain. How many of you ever tried to create the future and it didn't work out the way you thought it was going to work out? Right? You tried all the things. You tried the advice. See, here's the difference between good advice and good news. Good news is something has happened. Let that sink in for a moment. Something has happened happened it's an announcement and now everything changes so every time we talk I'm up here not to give you good advice but to proclaim good news to you and if I can convince you there's good news something has happened let me tell you it will change the way you think and it will set you on a different course and so uh, the long haul is going through the scriptures that are laid before us And not just my whim, whatever cultural things going on, even whatever holiday that we might happen to be in. But every single week we commit to going through the scriptures, looking at the person of Jesus, declaring good news that it may be good for your life and glorifying To God, And what I've seen over the years is this uh, slow change over time as we make disciples through speaking the word of God that it may shape and mold you and you'll grow together one another. It won't be just about sermons. You'll meet someone who's also along this journey. Aren't you thankful for someone in your life who helped bring you to Jesus? Amen. Aren't you thankful for moms that brought you to Jesus? Somebody say amen. To that a mother faithful praying mother and so this morning I want to look at the scriptures and uh, and and I want you to to hold on to that idea that we've been journeying through something significant for a long period of time maybe you're new here and that's okay you can just start right from here because the way forward starts right here amen It's the only way forward is right here today. And and I want to preach in such a way that even if you miss the entire book, you're going to get some stuff today that helps propel you, maybe intrigues you. And you go back, man, hey, I want to read this book. I want to go back and read some of these things. So I want to look at the final few verses of the Gospel of John. I want to talk for a moment about how we see the world. And ultimately, I want to uh, use Mother's Day as a launch pad to think about how uh, the mentality and the view of a mother can help shape us and what we can learn from the mothers around us. Amen. So look at John chapter 21. And if you're new to the Bible, you can start on the right and turn left and find it much faster. John chapter 21, verse 15. Last week, Pastor Joe at the Buelton campus and Pastor Tyler at the Lompoc campus preached the passage where Jesus comes to the risen Lord. Jesus comes to... The banks of the shore where he sees his disciples have fished all night and he asked them if they've caught any fish and they said, no, we have not caught any all night. He says, throw your nets to the other side. They do it at his word and they catch an abundance of fish. And the young disciple who wrote this book noted that there were 153 fish. And the reason why he knew it is because he was the youngest and he had to clean the fish. Okay, and, uh, and so nothing significant about the number 53 other than John wants to make sure you know that he cleaned 153 fish. And it says this, that Peter jumped out of, out of the boat. The captain, uh, in his spontaneity and his excitement, grabs his outer coat, jumps into the water, swims towards the shore. Has such an exciting moment that he is irrational. But he goes to Christ and he sees Jesus. And there, Jesus has a charcoal fire where he already has fish. That they have no idea how he got it. He, he has fish on the charcoal fire, and he says, "Come, have." Breakfast, Verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved like every mother has been asked a bazillion questions over and over and over. The same question. I know you get frustrated when children ask you the same question over and over. Somebody say amen amen to that. And so you can identify Peter is frustrated because he feels as though Jesus has asked them the same question. And I've given you the same answer. Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you are young, you, you, truly, I say, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you And carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for who you are and who you are to us. I ask for your grace today that you would help us in all things see you more clearly and it may change who we are for your glory and our good and everyone said amen Amen. I want to keep reading as we look at this story Peter turned and saw the disciple verse 20 whom Jesus loved following them so when he says, follow me, we assume that now Jesus and John have taken a stroll down the beach. They've left the other disciples who came with Peter fishing, and now they take a stroll down the beach. Follow me. It is, it is uh, kind of a twofold meaning here. He means it metaphorically, but he means it very literally. And the reason why we know that now is because it says, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. And so the scene moves. They're at the charcoal fire, and, and they fish. Finished breakfast, and Jesus is having this conversation with Peter. He says something completely fantastic, startling to Peter, and oftentimes, like many of us do when we have a tough conversation and we don't know how this is going, oftentimes we'll go, let's go for a walk. Let's go continue this conversation, and that's what Jesus does. So now you picture Peter and and Jesus walking along the beach and you see the young disciple, maybe 18 years old, John, who's, who's kind of uh, strolling behind. Do I get to go? I don't know if I'm invited and I don't really care if I'm invited. I'm going to go anyways, right? And he continues to listen on and Peter saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? Notice that we believe that the author of this passage is John and John is the beloved disciple. He's like uh, the grandchild who tells all the other grandkids, listen, I'm I'm grandma's favorite, just so you know. And so it's a, a constant look at himself, he, he reads himself, he almost signs into it. And, and it's oftentimes, I, I picture this, uh, sometimes the view of my oldest son and how I treat him versus how I treat my youngest son. How many of you have more than one kid because you're crazy, right? Yeah, and, and how many of you know that you love them all equally, <laughs> uh, you love them all the same amen yeah. right you, you don't have any favorites do you no not at all and, and and you know that to be true but they don't they're convinced right they're convinced and as time goes on they'll have conversations at the uh at the reunion listen I was always mom's favorite and and then they'll point out like they'll even be in agreement some of you even know what that's like yeah She was mom's favorite. He was mom's favorite, you know? And and sometimes we kind of have those cards. I already see that in my young children. I have eight, six, four, and two pray for my wife. Somebody say amen to that. And and, and yet uh, I I can see my my oldest who has that golden boy kind of characteristic about him. But he's convinced that we we love the little one more, the babies more, right? Because of the interactions that he perceives, right? He sees the four-year-old cuddling with his mom, never having responsibilities, never having a difficult conversation because he's not able to comprehend it. And yet the oldest one is having conversations like this. You know better than that, don't you, boy? <laughs> right? Somebody say, how many, how many firstborns do we have in here? Right? <laughs> right? not my people right how many how many second children we got in here where are my people at right come on you you firstborns thank you got anyways uh and, and my my wife's a firstborn and and yet i i think what i perceive in the in the passage is peter's perception of john and john's perception of Peter, think about all the interactions that Peter keeps having with Jesus. Open mouth, insert foot. Think of how quickly Peter is the one to jump in because he's out in front. He's the oldest. He's the leader. And so he has way more uh, opportunity and way more visible failure and even uh, he he, the others are aware of the difficult conversation. sometimes what happens is the discipline gets better as the children go because they don't want to end up like the first one (laughs) right Am I am I talking real talk today? Are you like don't want like like the reality is is they can perceive I don't want that punishment, and all of a sudden they'll begin to follow along and they learn as they. See, Peter is kind of like this. Peter has said things like, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And and Jesus would say, yes, you're blessed. And the father has revealed this revelation to you. But then Jesus says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and suffer and die. And Peter goes, you can't do that. No, 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 you can't do that. That's not in my plans. Have you ever tried to tell Jesus your plans? And he, he looks at, at Peter and says, uh, get behind me, Satan, for your words are offensive to me. Listen, if you go from blessed, the Father has given you revelation from the sky, to you are Satan himself, let me tell you, that's a bad day, friend. If Jesus calls you Satan, I don't think any of you ha- have ever experienced that. That's a bad day, amen. And yet, Peter's the one who gets to walk on water. None of you have done that. Peter's the one who is able to see the transfiguration. Jesus shows his glory and he reveals who he is on the mountain of transfiguration before he's going to the cross. And there stands Moses and Elijah. And Peter speaks up out of turn as he does. And he's like, you guys need some tents? You guys need me to build you three tents he's looking I see three people I see three fantastic heroes I see Jesus I see Moses I see Elijah and in that moment the glory stops the show's over it's a fantastic story you should go read and a voice booms out from heaven. and I have one son my one and only son you listen to him and him alone what does he say he takes the Old Testament the torah the first 5 books of the bible that are attributed to moses then all of the prophets that would be attributed to elijah and he says the one you listen to most of all is jesus he stands head and shoulders above every one else or in other words the Bible is a story about everyone else getting it wrong and one person getting it right and this is the person you follow who's the heroes of the faith there's one hero of the faith his name is Jesus somebody say amen Amen. to that you go who's your favorite Bible character (laughs) some of you thought that was a trick didn't you right what's your favorite Bible character Let's just get that deep in our heart with our children and those around us. Let's teach the Bible the way the Bible is written, a story that stands alone in contrast to any other story. And it is about this one person who stands alone. His name is Jesus. Peter gets it right. Peter gets it wrong. Peter has an opportunity. And yet here's John following the whole thing, writing it down in his diary. And writing all the stories after the fact. How many firstborns get annoyed with your younger siblings? <laughs> Don't look at them. That's rude. Don't look at Right? Right? How, how many of you, that, that type of behavior, man, I feel like it's always on me. I, I feel like I'm always the one taking the brunt of this. What about him? What about Her? All of you are just really godly in this room and you've never thought like that, right? Here's good news. If you have thought like that, Peter says this. He says, Jesus said to him, or when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? What about the, like, you're asking me, do you love me? Do you love me? We get like, yes, of course I love you. And here comes John tagging along and Peter by comparison goes, what about this joker? right come on you're always you're always getting on to me what about him mom dad you're always telling me so what about him and here's what he says he says to him if it is my will that he remain until i come what is it to you follow me what is it to you so so the saying spread abroad among the brothers and the disciples that this disciple was not to die Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is it to you? And then he signs his name. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things. And who has written these things. And we know his testimony is true. And here's Peter, and he has this fantastic story told to him. He has this prophecy from Jesus he asks him three questions, the same question over and over. Peter, do you love me? Do you? And I think it's interesting. He starts it like this. He says, do you love me more than these? And there's some kind of debate on what Jesus means. Was Jesus gesturing to the boats and the gear and the fishing gear? Sometimes we suggest that because the opening pages of scripture tell us about the call of Peter, James, and John, how they were fishermen, and Jesus says to follow me, and they leave their stuff, and they follow Jesus. Now, sometimes it can get implied because of our culture is that Peter and James and John sold everything and then left and abandoned and followed Jesus, but they still constantly throughout the gospels keep getting back on boats somehow they have a boat. They have access to a boat. They keep going fishing. You have the stories of Jesus in the storm and and him sleeping on the boat, the walking on water story. So it seems as though they've in some aspect left. It's not the priority. But the scriptures do not speak of the ordinary, the the mundane, the jobs that they have to do at times when they go fishing. It doesn't speak negatively of it. So we sometimes we can interject to the text what we think think happened so here again it says do you love me more than these and if you read it that way about the fishing gear you'd say do you love me more than fishing more than your job more than your occupation more than your goals more than your dreams and a pastor can preach it that way we can begin to uh, subjectively look at the text and begin to insert things into the narrative that maybe are not there Maybe Jesus is looking at the other disciples. I think this is maybe a a greater possibility, but not why he looks at me and says, Peter, do you love me more than these? The seven other disciples that were there, including John. Do you love me more than the other disciples? And I wonder why Jesus asked that question. Is it that he's supposed to love Jesus more than the other disciples? Is loving Jesus a competition? Let me tell you, if you were going to compete at anything, I think that would be a worthy competition, don't you? He says, do you love me more than these? I wonder if it's because Peter thinks that he does. I wonder if he thinks because he's the one who speaks up and says, listen, even if all remember the moment that Peter is told that he'll fall away, that he'll deny Jesus. It was in a moment where he looked to Jesus. Jesus says to them, you all will fall away. They'll strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. He says this, and what does Peter do? He goes, no, not me. You remember that? He says, no, 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 no. Even if all of these turn away, I'll go to my death. And Jesus goes, oh, really? Really? Will you? So, what Jesus is dealing with is the perception that Peter has of himself, in comparison to others. And we know this because, and I think I'm I'm tempted to bring this interpretation because comparison is where Peter immediately goes after the conversation. What about John? So Jesus asks him a question for Peter: Do you love me more than these? Because you've, you've projected that. You've put that out in the ethos. You've put it out there that you stand head and short. You're the best Christian. You're the best follower of Jesus. And let me tell you, if you think you're the best, you're now the worst. Oh, that's good preaching. Thank you, Pastor Sam. Somebody say amen to that. Right? Listen, Paul's journey is... As Saul of Tarsus turned Paul, the the gospel preacher, in his ministry, when he first begins to proclaim the gospel, he tells everybody, listen, I'm an apostle called by God, not by men. My authority is from God. He grows and matures. Do you know the next title he gives for himself? He says, I am least of the saints. And then at the end of his ministry, after he's matured, do you know what he calls himself? Chief of sinners. What does maturity in Christ look like? I think that's a, a pretty good example. So I'm, I'm, I got it all together. No, you don't. Right? I, I, man, I, I, I'm really doing a good job at this Christian thing. No, no, no. As you go along, you'll say, no, I am a sinner saved by grace. And if it wasn't for the grace of God, I would not be Who I am today. How many of you are thankful that God has helped you, transformed you? This is the life. And yet, Peter, at one time, has to realize what this whole thing is about. It's about Jesus and not about himself, not about his courage, not about his accolades, not about his business, not about his age, not about any other thing that he can bring. This is about following Jesus. And this is not salvation by association. This is not a group thing, although we do these things together. You as an individual, as Peter did, Jesus looks to the individual of Peter and asks him specific questions that deal with the issue of Peter's heart. He says, Peter, do you love me more than these? Peter says, Lord, you know, yes, you know that I love you. He said to them, then feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, you know that I love you. He said, then tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he s- said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Now, why is it three times? I think maybe it's the reversal of Peter's denial that just happened We're two weeks removed from the resurrection. and Peter's been wrestling with the fact that he said, oh, I would never deny you. I'll go to my death. And Jesus says, Peter, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. Aren't you one of those? Aren't you his? No, I'm not one of his. Wait a second. You kind of sound like him. What a great accusation. Wouldn't you like to be accused of sounding like Jesus? says you even sound like him no 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 and he curses that he ever knew him Aren't you aren't you one of aren't you his you you have to be no 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 jesus now a couple weeks later looks at peter and i think that's in peter's response lord you know everything like you know if i do or not I know I let you down I know that I messed up I know I tripped and stumbled three times Jesus asked him do you love me oh you know I love you see Peter's at a crux of how he sees the world how he sees himself how he sees others he's dealing with comparison to others nothing that you could relate to huh How you see the world, how you see yourself, how you see those around you. So I think this passage begins to put in front of us a wrestling match of what do we do when we've seen the risen Lord? What do we do? How do we see the world? How many of you wear glasses? Go ahead and show them to me. Just own it. How many of you? Right? Now hand them to the person beside of you. hand me those. I need some glasses. (laughs) All right. Now, now put your neighbor's glasses on. (sighs) Some of you, some of you are, you shouldn't drive home. (laughs) How how, how many of you have have tried to use someone else's glasses? I don't know what it is. Some of you, like this happened one time. I was like, I didn't have my glasses. There's a certain age though. There's an age bracket where you can trade. I don't understand it, but you can. There's a certain age bracket where it's like, oh, you can use mine. And they're like, oh, great. Thank you. I'm like, what? That is not not something that I know. See, how you see the world changes everything. How you see, have you, you seen those videos of young children? They're not able to articulate that they can't see in those moments where they put glasses on them for the first time. You're watching, you want to you you cry your eyes out? Watch those videos, right? And they put them on for the first time and Oh, they can see their parents faces for the first time they can see the world different see the resurrection of Jesus Christ is as if you could not see It's as if your eyes were weakened blurry you were you were weak in your ability you know the line I once was blind but now I what do you see what do you see? What does Peter see? What does he perceive? See, here's the reality of how the world works in our view. I want to give you three words, and if you're taking notes, I want you to write these words down. I've used these before. I've used them over the years. There's three words. Those words are relate, connect, devote. Three words, relate, connect, devote devote i've been using this and i developed this as a youth pastor and i haven't come up with any uh, better words i haven't updated them in a while where you use those relate connect devote here's the idea how you relate to things will determine how you connect with them and will ultimately determine your devotion how devoted or how distant from something or in other words the word relate the idea of how do you see the world How do you see things? How do you perceive things? How you perceive your spouse will determine how you connect with them. Somebody say amen. Amen. Or the lack of connection there. Oh, no. Friends, somebody say, oh, no. Right? Like when when, when your view of things are off, how you connect with them, how things line up will be off how you see how you perceive the world will change your connection to it how you interact with it the actions that you take and ultimately your devotion in other words how how deeply devoted how how much How much love and patience and goodness and kindness, how much endurance are you able to put into a relationship, into a job, into an activity? All of that comes from first asking the question, how do I see this? Is this worthy? Is this valuable? Now, in the scriptures, the idea that changes this is the word repentance, Repentance means to change the way you think so that you do something different. In the Greek, it's this word metanoia, metanoia, which means to change the way you think so that you do something different. Or in other words, how you relate to things, how you connect to things, and ultimately, what will be your devotion to it. Here's what Peter's wrestling with. Peter is wrestling with how he sees the risen Lord. How he saw him on the first side of this is he saw him as a religious leader. He saw him as someone who could change uh, his economic status, his social status, his political status. And then his world was turned upside down because Jesus did not come to change the poverty of Peter's hand, but to change the poverty of Peter's heart. He did not come to break the back of Caesar, but to crush the head of Satan. And that changed everything. And this is that good news. If you see the gospel, if you see the scriptures as merely good advice, well, you'll take it or leave it, how you connect to it. If you see the gospels as good things and tools and tricks and ideas and merely a a conglomerate of fortune cookies, you won't be devoted to the scriptures. You see how we wrap that beginning, opening part back up? How you see the world changes everything. And you have to ask the question, how do I see Jesus? Peter is wrestling with and, and Jesus knows it. And he's beginning to prod him, do you love me? He's having to take inventory. Because what he's connecting is what he says And what he does, because Peter at one time said, I'll go to my death, but he turned like a coward. He said, oh Lord, all of the other disciples, they'll fall away, not me. Peter, do you love me more than these? Are you ready to realize this isn't about you comparing yourself to the person at the end of the aisle? The person at the other church? Christian across the country but you haven't asked the question do you love Jesus how do you see the world how you see Jesus will determine whether or not what he says is valuable enough to follow through and to follow him even when Jesus says to Peter when you're young you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted to go but when you're old Someone else will dress you and they'll lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus prophesies the way in which Peter will die. He prophesies that Peter will go to his death, death on a cross and church history will tell us that that Peter was crucified. And the legend is that he did not find it worthy to be crucified the same way Jesus was crucified. So he asked to be turned upside down. Peter will go from denying Christ to be being martyred for Christ. Why? Because his view changed. His view changed because he saw a man raised from the dead. And when you see a dead man walking, that will fundamentally change you, friend. And that's a question you have to ask yourself is this merely advice or is this good news that the Lord is risen and that means life and death fundamentally look different and that means he's Lord when he tells me although I have some ideas about the fishing business I've fished all night I've got nothing and Jesus says cast your net to the other side will you listen to him when he says change the business When he says, I know you have some ideas about your profession, your leadership. You got all the tools and tricks, but I want you to do this instead. Is he Lord? Is he Lord if it costs you money? Is he Lord if it costs you reputation? Is he Lord if it's not popular? Because he's asking the question, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Let the question echo through your heart. Do you love him? Because if you love him, love does. Love is a response. Love is a relationship that you can't quite put your finger on. It's the way you describe your mom, right? what do you love most about your mom? You're like, she's my mom. (laughs) Amen? You go, I don't don't know, I don't know. It's just, she is and she does because she loves. See, I think moms teach us something that's, Beautiful about the gospel and about our human experience Moms love in such a way they love because of being Not because of doing and Yet the response of their love is to do Moms you never stop doing do you? It's nonstop. It's all the time. Why? Because you love because of who the child is. See, that's who God is for us. He loves not because of what you do. Think about what he's doing for Peter. Peter's blown it. He's messed up, yet he still pursues. He still loves him. He still walks with him. He still leads him. He still guides him. Why? Because Peter is one of his. That's what a mom does. They're mine. No matter their behavior. Dads are like, you act like that, boy? You get none of me. Right? Come back and change your attitude if you want me to be dad for you. Right? <laughs> just telling you the truth this morning. Moms, it's like, really? You're still going to do that for them? Do you know what kind of little demon they were just a minute ago? Right? Mom's love because it's who they are. And the love of, and the knowing of that child somehow changes everything. It changes how they see everything, how they see life, existence, pain, and suffering. Right? You remember that? The worst day of my life was the day I watched childbirth, I'll tell you. I never know how that one's going to go over. Right? That day was weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, friend. Right? That was a, a terrible and glorious day. See, Romans 8 says this, the whole earth is groaning and travailing like a woman in childbirth. Waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. Waiting for the child to be born. Waiting for us to finally have the relationship of our heavenly father, our creator, and his children. That's what a mom does. And then then Paul says this, I do not consider our present sufferings worthy to be compared to the greatness of knowing God. Can I tell you, that passage does not make sense to me. It just doesn't quite hit for me. It didn't until I saw what my wife went through giving birth to my children and then seeing all of the pain all of the suffering of that moment leave her mind the moment she held her child I do not consider our present sufferings worthy to be compared to the greatness of knowing God it's something supernatural that happens friends all of a sudden they tell us they tell us we don't know it's the worst pain known to a woman because men will never know Ladies, amen. And yet somehow in a moment, they forget about it. See, sometimes you ask the question, with all the pain and suffering around the world, how, God, are we going to forget about it? The greatness of knowing God. When we see him face to face, he's telling Peter, listen, Peter, this journey's going to be so great, it will be painful, but in the end, it will be worth it because we'll know one another in the fullness of love and relationship. Moms are the only ones who can teach us that. Mothers are the only one. How they see the world, it changes. How they relate to that baby, how they hold that baby, how they see this living being who looks like a grumpy old man coming out. I'm like, put him back, he's not done. How they see the child determines how they connect with the child and their devotion. How we see children. Let me say this, I I don't wanna be political, I wanna be biblical. And this is why it is imperative. How we see a child in the womb determines our devotion to that life if we see this not as a life merely sales friends let the scriptures let human reality let love teach us not be shaped by culture you go Pastor Sam I I see it different the scriptures do not somebody should say amen to that So then you have to decide, do you love Jesus enough to see him as valuable? How do you connect to him? Will you be devoted to his word and no one else? Moms, thank you for teaching us that love and relationship conquers all. And somehow we can face anything and someday the greatness of knowing God will stand in his presence face to face in all the trouble, and all the worry and the weariness. The world will grow strangely dim in the light of who Jesus is. Do you love him, then follow him. Will you pray with me? Gracious heavenly father, we thank you on this Mother's Day that we celebrate life. We're so thankful for the high calling that you've called mothers to. That they've carried life in their womb They've they've given a gift through sacrifice, through pain, through suffering. And I thank you that the supernatural power of the gospel is on display the moment they hold a child and forget all that they went through, seeing it as worth it to know the greatness of another life. As Peter was asked the question, Jesus, Do you love me? I pray that we would wrestle with that question. And we would see love and love of you, the risen Lord. That would change how we connect with the rest of the world. That if we are loved, then we love others as you have loved us. We see you as risen and conquering death That means we'll be devoted to your words because you know more than we do. You know how this thing wraps up because it's in you we live and move and have our being. Help us today to love you more and more. Help us today to honor our mothers celebrating and learning the gospel through a lady only Only she could teach. We thank you. We praise you. Let everything we say and do bring glory to God and good to this valley. And everyone said amen. Amen. Will you give Jesus one more hand clap of praise?